Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. We talk about writing, history, rules, and other cool stuff. Today, we'll talk about the most controversial of all punctuation marks, the Oxford comma, and then we'll talk about starting a sentence with the word and. And finally, I have the winning poem from the ACES National Grammar Day Poetry Contest. The Oxford comma is the comma that goes before the final and in a series. For example, if I write snorts, comma, howls, comma, and guffaws, if I put a comma after howls and before the word and, that's an Oxford comma. It's also called the serial comma or rarely the series comma or the Harvard comma. But the name Oxford comma seems to be the most popular, and it gets that name because it's the style used by the influential Oxford University Press. The name Oxford comma is newer than you might think, though. The Oxford English Dictionary shows the first printed use of the term in 1978, although it's likely it had already been used among editors for at least a few years before then, because the example is from an informal history of the Oxford University Press and is talking about the origin of the comma rule. In fact, I found what I believe is an example from 1974 in the Google Books database, although I wasn't able to see the whole thing. By contrast, I found references to the phrase serial comma from as far back as 1935 and series comma from as far back as 1919. The first style book to recommend using the Oxford comma came out in 1905 in England, and Strunk's first edition of The Elements of Style, which came out a few years later in America in 1918, also recommended the serial comma. The 1905 book credited with establishing the Oxford comma rule is titled Author and Printer, a guide for authors, editors, printers, correctors of the press, compositors, and typists by Francis Howard Collins. And it appears that Collins and his famous biologist philosopher friend Herbert Spencer hashed out the idea of the serial comma in a personal correspondence that Collins later quoted in his book. Collins and Spencer didn't give it the name serial comma or Oxford comma. Instead, Collins addressed the point in an entry about the word and with the heading and or comma and. Here's what that entry says. Quote, the late Herbert Spencer allowed me to quote from his letter, whether to write black comma white comma and green with the comma after white or to leave out the comma and write black comma white and green. I feel very decidedly in favor of the first. To me, the comma is a value in marking out the component elements of a thought. And where any set of a component of elements are of equal value, they should be punctuated in printing and in speech equally. 
Evidently, therefore, in this case, inasmuch as when enumerating these colors black, white, and green, the white is just as much to be emphasized as the other two. It needs the pause after it just as much as the black does, unquote. And an interesting but unrelated note is that Spencer's also credited with coining the phrase survival of the fittest. So as far as we know, that's the origin of the serial comma rule. It originally had to do with giving each element equal weight rather than being valued for adding clarity to lists, which is often the argument you hear for using it today. So now let's get on to how to use the Oxford comma and when you should. Ultimately, it's a style choice. Although the British are less likely to use the Oxford comma than Americans, primarily it's newspapers that allow writers to omit that final comma. For example, although most American style guides, such as the Chicago Manual of Style and the MLA Style Manual, say to always use the Oxford comma, it's the Associated Press Style Guide that says it's okay to leave it out in simple sentences. The theory is that newspapers were often looking to save space when you could only get them in print, and that leaving out the comma in simple sentences is fine because it doesn't change the meaning or make them harder to understand. Consider this sentence. When you look at worldwide sales, the top-grossing movies of all time are currently Avatar, Avengers Endgame, and Titanic. I didn't use a serial comma in that sentence, and it was easy to read, and there wasn't any confusion. Even in AP style, though, you have to use the Oxford comma in more complicated sentences. For example, when the items in the list have internal conjunctions. Here's a sentence that could mean different things with and without the final comma. Rebecca was proud of her new muffin recipes, blueberry, comma, peanut butter and chocolate chip, and coconut. Now, without an Oxford comma, you can't be sure whether the last recipes are peanut butter alone in a combination of chocolate chip and coconut, or peanut butter combined with chocolate chips and then coconut alone. You can make the meaning clear in two ways. You can place the final comma after peanut butter or after chocolate chip, or rewrite the sentence so that there's no ambiguity. If you want to say that the combination is peanut butter and chocolate chip, you can write blueberry, comma, peanut butter and chocolate chip, comma, and coconut. Or if you insist on leaving out the cereal, comma, you can rewrite the list as peanut butter and chocolate chip, comma, coconut, and blueberry. But I still think the rewrite is more risky than the sentence with the cereal, comma, because a reader who's just skimming the sentence could be tempted to think that coconut and blueberry is a combination. Another case where leaving the comma out can be confusing is when the later items in the list can describe an earlier item. An oft-cited example is the made-up book dedication to my parents, comma, Ayn Rand, and God. Now, a reasonable reader would assume there are at least four entities being thanked, parent one, parent two, Ayn Rand, and God. But without the Oxford comma, you could also conclude that the two parents are Ayn Rand and God. An Oxford comma clears up any possible confusion to my parents, comma, Ayn Rand, comma, and God. And even in AP style, you also use an Oxford comma when each element in your series is a phrase, as in squiggly wondered whether Aardvark had caught any fish, comma, whether Aardvark would be home for dinner, comma, and whether Aardvark would be in a good mood. The last two parts of the sentence are just so long that they benefit from being broken up by a comma. Finally, there are sentences where even an Oxford comma doesn't make the meaning clear. 
Consider this sentence. We got to meet Dolly Parton, comma, a singer and a philanthropist. Without the serial comma, it could mean that Dolly is both a singer and a philanthropist, or that we got to meet three people, Dolly, an unnamed singer, and an unnamed philanthropist. With the serial comma, we got to meet Dolly Parton, comma, a singer, comma, and a philanthropist, it could still mean two different things. It could mean I got to meet three people, Dolly, an unnamed singer, and an unnamed philanthropist, or it could mean I got to meet two people, Dolly, who is a singer, and an unnamed philanthropist. If you want your meaning to be clear in that sentence, the comma won't get you there. You need to rewrite it to something like, we got to meet the singer and philanthropist, comma, Dolly Parton. So the bottom line is that using the serial comma is a style choice. Most publications, except newspapers, favor using it all the time, and all publications call for a serial comma when leaving it out could cause confusion. And sometimes sorting out your meaning is just too much for one little comma, and the best option is to rewrite your sentence. Although the Oxford comma isn't always necessary, I like it and I use it all the time because I like to have a simple, consistent style instead of trying to decide whether you need something on a case-by-case basis. And I just like how it looks, too. But using the Oxford comma is a style choice, a preference, and not an absolute rule of grammar. And even though I'm on Team Oxford comma, I will die on the hill that Associated Press writers are fine leaving it out of simple sentences. I defend your right to leave out the Oxford comma, but I'm still going to keep using it myself, too. Remember the frustration of trying to memorize vocabulary and grammar rules only to find you couldn't actually use the language in real life? Well, there's a better way to learn. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program with millions of users learning 25 different languages, and you can get it on your desktop or as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways with its intuitive process. It's really different. You pick up the language naturally, first with words, then the phrases, and then with sentences. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Grammar Girl listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Is it rosettastone.com grammar? That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash grammar today. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step. 
but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Since we were just talking about commas before and, let's also talk about starting a sentence with and. This next segment is by Edwin Battistella. So when I say I, that's him. I always see some shocked faces when I tell a classroom of college students that there's nothing wrong with beginning a sentence with the word and, or for that matter, the words but, because, or however. I encourage them not to take my word for it, but to look it up. So I refer them to Ernest Gower's 1965 revision of Fowler's Dictionary of Modern English Usage, which explains that the idea is, quote, a faintly lingering superstition, unquote. I also often suggest Garner's Modern American Usage, which calls it a rank superstition. Superstitions don't age well, apparently. Even Wilson Follett's stuffy Modern American Usage calls the rule a prejudice that lingers from the days of school marmism rhetoric. William Sapphire included it in his book of misrules of grammar, and Strunk and White didn't mention it as a problem at all. So there. Yet the superstition persists, and it remains a common belief among students entering college. The and style, which linguists sometimes call paratactic, is common in early Middle and early Modern English, as a look at the Anglo-Saxon Chronicles, the Canterbury Tales, or the King James Bible will show. So how did this bit of folklore come about? Well, the idea that one shouldn't begin a sentence with and was not one of the prescriptive dicta proposed by 18th century Bishop Robert Loth or by his imitator Lindley Murray, but it did show up in some 19th century language commentary. As Dennis Barron first noted, George Washington Moon singled and out in his 1868 book The Bad English of Lindley Murray and Other Writers on the English Language. How's that for some shade in a title? Moon wrote that, quote, it's not scholarly to begin a sentence with the conjunction and, unquote. He was referring to George Perkins Marsh, the scholar, diplomat, and environmentalist who penned lectures on the English language in 1860. Marsh's comment is telling because he refers to sentence initial and as not scholarly, suggesting that avoiding and is a matter of style or rhetoric. The misconception that it's an error of grammar is a generalization of the reasonable rhetorical advice not to overuse coordination. If writers rely only on and, essays can become a mere sequential narrative. It was summer, and we went to the beach, and the sand on the beach was very hot, and after a while we got tired, so we went home, and Mikey got sand in his bathing suit, and the sand got all over the car. (laughs) You get the idea. But what changed from the days of the King James Bible with its many sentence-starting ands? Well, one thing that changed was that scientific writing emerged as a genre with a great deal of prestige. Charles Bazerman's 1988 classic study, Shaping Written Knowledge, traced the history of writing in the philosophic transactions of the Royal Society of London, noting that scientific writing shifted from observations of the natural world to proof-like tests of theories. In fact, scholar Hydram Dorglow compared the frequency of sentence-initial and in modern English and early modern English narrative and scientific texts. She concluded that the use of and to begin a sentence, quote, became associated with older, more narrative, and hence less professional style, and thus became increasingly stigmatized, unquote. 
Her conclusion echoes George Washington Moon's remark that beginning a sentence with and was somehow not scholarly. Another thing that changed was mass education and the challenge of teaching sentence structure and writing conventions to large numbers of children. Several scholars have suggested that the supposed incorrectness of sentences beginning with and arose from efforts by school teachers to direct pupils away from the overuse of and. As linguist Arnold Zwicky put it, quote, Teachers quite rightly view this system of sentence connection as insufficiently elaborated, and they seek ways of getting students to produce connectives that have more content than vague association or sequence in time. At some point, I speculate, a blanket proscription was born, probably in elementary schools from which it would have diffused to secondary schools and beyond, unquote. But as students move beyond the elementary levels, we need to let them know that it's no error to begin a sentence with a conjunction. Professional writers and editors whom I've asked find sentence-initial conjunctions unobjectionable. One editor recently for a national publication put it to me this way, quote, As editorial director, I'm the decider, and I frequently use them in my own writing, and I allow them, unquote. And while we don't know who first articulated the superstition that sentence-initial conjunctions are errors, it is the sort of superstition we should be careful not to pass along to future generations. That segment was written by Edwin Battistella, who teaches linguistics and writing at Southern Oregon University in Ashland, where he's served as a dean and as interim provost. He's the author of Do You Make These Mistakes in English? Bad Language? And The Logic of Markedness. This piece originally appeared on the OUP blog and is included here with permission. Finally this week, instead of a familect story, I have the winning entry from the ACES National Grammar Day Poetry Contest. Here's Claire Valgardson reading her poem. The N-dash said to the M-dash, As brackets, you're overly brash. You don't get the ball rolling as well as a colon. I have, it broke in, more panache. Thank you and congratulations. Clarevel Gardson is a Toronto-based academic copy editor and proofreader specializing in APA style, particularly in psychology, education, and the social sciences. She also edits nonfiction, business reports, web content, and, quote, most other things that are written in English, unquote. According to the ACES blog post, in approaching her limerick, Valgardson said she originally wanted to explain the difference between an N-dash and an M-dash, but the meter and rhyme weren't coming together. She said, quote, The M-dash is an artistic and some would say superfluous punctuation mark, while the N-dash is very prosaic. I hoped to get that across while highlighting the one function of the M-dash that it doesn't share with any other punctuation mark, that of interrupting dialogue. Thanks again, Claire. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. Thanks to my audio engineer, Nathan Sams, and my editor, Adam Cecil, who's always wanted to visit Babyland General Hospital, the Cabbage Patch Kids Company store and fake hospital in Georgia. And can I just tell you, I am learning so many interesting things about our team with these little credit stories. Our assistant manager is Emily Miller. Our marketing and publicity assistant is Davina Tomlin. And our ad operations specialist is Morgan Christensen. That's all. And if you got this far, thanks for listening with my scratchy voice this week. Bye.
Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.